I will typically have a a opening question that either I'm asking you overtly or uh, subvertly, uh, I'm asking you uh, indirectly sometimes, but I want to ask you a question that is the probing question of our day. If you could go back to you when you were a teenager, what one piece of advice would you give you when you were a teenager? Now, if you're a teenager right now, okay, go back to when you weren't a teenager. Uh, go back to a time and say, I wish I had known this, fill in the blank. Or I wish I hadn't done this, fill in the blank. Or I'm glad I did this. Not everything's a regret. What, did, what have you done that has impacted, that has set you in the right trajectory in life? So think about that. What is that? Hang on to that question. Because when you come to those questions in life, you need to pass them on to the next generation, whether you're a small group leader in our student ministry or, or you actually have students in your home or children in your home. These are life lessons that you don't want to waste a pain or you don't want to miss out on passing on the joy of life. So it happened to me this week that I was going back through a journal, and I'm not a big time journaler. I'm a jotter, not a journaler. And I kind of jot what God's teaching me. I figure if God, the universe is talking to me, I need to write it, write it down and want to keep it with me. And so there was one of those days I was going back through an old journal 11 years back. Okay. 11 years back, I woke up with a very vivid dream of an event of a time of a relationship that I had with somebody that was no less than 30 years ago at that time. So now we're talking 40 plus years. But even as I was rereading my journal this past week, I still remember that night 11 years ago. I remember the dream. I remember it was not one of those crazy dreams where you wake up and, and whatever things are going on. Uh, but this was a dream that I needed to take action on. And so what it was is when I was a teenager, I'd done some stupid things in my life, and that was a season of stupid, and I was doing it really well. Um, but in this relationship, I had not done some right things. And I woke up and it was like, I never, ever went back to that person. Never, ever did I say I was sorry. Never, ever did I try to reconcile the situation. Not that I was going to reconcile the relationship, but I hadn't even tried to reconcile the offense that I had inflicted on this person. So what do you do 30 years later? How do you find this person? Facebook. You creep them. You find them on Facebook. That's the only thing that thing's good for. And if I found this person and I just sent him a message. And I just said, hey, I don't know if you remember this but I did this, said this, and it was not right. And I am incredibly sorry. Would you please forgive me? That was about the length of the, I went back and reread the message. That was about the length of it. And so they responded back, oh, you're a preacher. And, uh, and so I don't know what that meant, if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, that was the opening line back to me. They, they said there's no problem. I hadn't even thought about it. They, they'd moved on. But the the point that I, that I make is that there is such power in forgiveness and reconciliation that I don't think our world, in fact, I am going to go on the line here and say, our world doesn't understand 
forgiveness. Until we fully understand what happened on that faithful Good Friday and what happened on that beautiful Sunday morning when a Savior of the world, the Creator of the world, died on the cross and was buried and rose again. The whole encompassing story behind that is the fact that we have offended people. We've offended God and we have been offended. Every one of us in this room is walking around offended and an offender of others and of God. What do you do with that? Proverbs says it like this, each heart knows its own bitterness. Your bitter experiences may not be the same as my bitter experiences, but what do you do with that? A couple of lessons that I've learned about trying to wrestle through uh, the offenses of life. One, these are just my axioms of, of dealing with offenses. One is offenses don't fix themselves. When people say time heals all wounds, that's a lie. Okay. They just stay under the surface. They, they repopulate in some other relationship. They filter over into how we act and react. They don't just fix themselves. Another is offenses don't have quick fixes. Okay. There's not a silver bullet. It's not like, Hey, I said, I'm sorry. Would you get over it now? That doesn't work. Okay. You may be ready to move on as the offender, but the offended isn't always that easy to just move on. The third one is offenses have limited fixes. Okay. Offenses. I mean, you cannot maybe fix everyone unless unless you've experienced the limitless Jesus. That is where we take offenses and we take forgiveness and we take it to a stratosphere, a galaxy, a world that we know not of in and of ourselves. That we experience that, walk in that, are able to dispense that level of forgiveness when we've experienced it through Jesus. Now, there's just not a bait and switch there. That is absolutely the truth. Because look at it like this. In Romans, when Paul's writing Romans, he said this, where sin or offenses are great, grace is greater. So you stack up all the offenses. And what, what is true of grace is that grace is so amazing, so wonderful, so all-consuming, it can cover every single one of our offenses that we've offended or that we have been offended with if we allow the gospel, the story of Jesus, the, the, the life-giving story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to infiltrate all of us. Peter was with, Peter's one of Jesus' disciples, and he's with Jesus at one point, and he's really trying to wrestle down, how much do I forgive somebody? How much is enough? One time, you hurt me, shame on you. Hurt me a second time, shame on me for letting you hurt me. That's kind of the, the mentality that I have. So Peter's a lot more spiritual than I am. He said, is seven times, seven enough? And Jesus, what did he say? 70 times seven. 70 times. He, he was not trying to, again, give us a limit. It's an infinite number. So forgiveness, whenever you experience the supernatural level of forgiveness, that it is a, it is a supreme forgiveness that this world does not know and that you will not get in life outside of a personal relationship with Jesus. In this series, and we're finishing the series next week, but th today in this series, we've been talking about trading up, going from our way, 
what we naturally do just because of the, 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 the nature and nurture of life, our way to the Jesus way. Okay, and that's a major swing for us. We've talked about the pace of life. Jesus lived in a cadence and a rhythm and a pace of life that was actually sustainable. Okay, sometimes we're all burnt out and messed up and stressed out. We've done that to ourselves. We don't live at the pace that Jesus lived at. He lived at a pace that brought joy and peace and, and rhythms that he could walk through crowds and, and, and enjoy the meaningful, singular interactions with people. It's incredible. We also talked about Jesus, and he didn't just have a life with prayer. He had a life of prayer. It literally sustained his life. Now, the difference is, is that we all pray, okay? Every one of us in this room pray. I don't care if you're an atheist today, coming with a friend today, you pray. How do I know it? When do you pray? You pray whenever the blue lights come on behind you and they pull you over the side of the road and they're giving you the high speed award. Uh, That's when you're praying. God, don't give me one of those, please. I believe in you now. Next week, we're gonna deal with trading up to the mission of God. God's mission, his purpose, his vision for us. Here's a question. Here's the probing question for next week. What if God's vision and mission for us is greater than our vision and mission for ourselves? Let that sink in throughout this week as we think about the vision that God has for our life. Today, trading up means moving from limited conditional forgiveness to limitless supernatural forgiveness. Take your Bibles and look at Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, a story that was referred to Friday night when we came together, was referred to earlier in the narrative. Uh, I, I want us to just jump in and read this. Jesus had seven statements that he made when he was hanging on the cross. This is statement number one. When he first goes to the cross, this is what happens. Two others were criminals. This is verse 32. Two other were criminals were led away, put to death with him. And when he came to the place that was called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminal on one right and on the other, his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what, the, what they're doing, what they do. And they cast lots. Now notice what happens. These are the offenses that are happening to Jesus when he is praying, Father, forgive them. Such a dichotomy. They're casting lots over his clothes. The people stood and watched. Innocent bystanders, uh-uh. Apathetic watchers. Complacent watchers. Spectators on the sport of injustice. But the rulers scoffed at him, saved others. He, and this is what they said to him. You saved others. He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was an inscription above, his, above him that said, this is the king of the Jews. That was not a declaration of faith. That was a mockery. This is everything that is happening. I'm not even talking about the scourging. I'm not talking about the kangaroo court, the unjust trial that he underwent. Forget that. We're talking about these first few minutes on the cross. What's happening? Look at these offenses. They're gambling for his clothes. They're they're casting lots for the clothes. There were innocent bystanders watching. 
Instead of standing up for the injustice, they were spectators of the injustice. Jesus warns about this in the Good Samaritan, how there are some people who will just walk by on the other side and turn a blind eye, pretend they don't see things. That's as wrong as not, it's just not doing anything. Number three, they scoffed and mocked him like a third grader on a playground, offering sour wine. Now, we don't know if this was an antiseptic to the pain or anesthesia to the pain or what was going on, but this is not something that you want to be hanging out in a desert sun, uh, and the last thing on your taste buds is some soured wine. But that's what they gave him, or offered him. What does Jesus do with these offenses? That They're literally happening right in front of him. He does what he tells us to do as we trade up to the Jesus way. He told them in the Sermon on the Mount, what do you do with this? How do you handle this? Matthew 5, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So what does Jesus do? He does exactly that. He says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. How in the world do you put your arms around such a level of forgiveness? Two necessities if you're going to have this limitless forgiveness. There's a method and there's a means. Number one, there's a method. How do we get there? the crucifixion. The crucifixion is absolutely fundamental, foundational. It is not what you normally do, okay? Crucifixion is not what you think, but neither is running into the, to to streaming bullets. I had a Marine tell me one time, I used to call, I called him one time a former Marine, but evidently you're never a former Marine. Once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. But he said that when he went to boot camp, the line was, is that the Marines are the ones who go towards the shooting bullets when everyone else is running away. When you think about that, I think, wow, what does Jesus do? He goes towards our darkness. He moves into the darkness. He moves into the, the sickness and the brokenness. And you think, whoa, 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 Mike, I thought this was like Easter Sunday and we talk about peeps and chocolate bunnies and, and wear pastels and get our photos made. Happy thoughts. We have photo booths out there. Take your photos afterwards, okay? Here's the point. You can't experience an empty tomb until you first fill that tomb. You You can't walk in light until you can understand darkness. You can't fully appreciate light until you understand the darkness. We have to go to the dark places before we can step into the light. We have, to, we have to experience a full tomb before we can experience an empty tomb. When Jesus is on the cross, notice the statement again, Father, forgive them. That is a present active indicative in the Greek language that just basically means in this moment, right now in this moment, and for all future moments, God, would you forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. They're blind to it. Now, there's so much packed into that, but I just want to focus on the fact that it wasn't like months later and then Jesus got over the pain and he said, Father, forgive In the moment, in the offense, while it's happening to his life and his body, he's whispering the words, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. The cross is crazy, I promise you that. It doesn't make sense. It's foolishness. Paul told the church at Corinth, but to believers, it's the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to 
us who are being saved. It's the power of God. So what does the cross do? The cross does, number one is the cross enables the offender to be set free. We're able to be set free. Now, I know it's not it's not a popular thing to set a guilty person free, but that's what the cross does. So if you're an offender, you want to be set free. The cross enables that. You look at Romans chapter five, three different times. He says that they were weak. He said that they were still sinners, that they were enemies of God. And all through that, Christ died, Christ died, the death of his son. And what does the death of his son do? reconciles him to God. In mind-blowing grace of God that God doesn't wait for us to get our act together and then love us, get our, our junk together and then forgive us. He actually looks into us while we're still weak, while we're still enemies, while we're still sinners, and he said, Father, forgive him. That is an incredible grace that what if I could carry that over into all of my life? Let that sink in. Dane Orland said it like this. He said, he walked through my death and he didn't simply die. He walked through my death. He didn't simply die. He was condemned. He didn't simply leave heaven for me. He entered hell for me. He, he, not deserving to be condemned, absorbed in my place, I who alone deserved it. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven, the blood of Christ, the crucifixion is necessary because the blood of Christ will set you free. And it's his grace. So don't skip past the cross to get to an empty grave, empty tomb. You've got to embrace the fact that as an offender, I'm offended, you've been offended, I've offended maybe some of you. We're all living in this offended world. But what do you do with that? You step into it, I pray, with the grace of God. But number two, it not only is the offender set free, but the offense is covered in full. It's covered. Bill paid. Now, a lot of people don't understand the whole, how, do, how does God deal with our sin and our brokenness? It's like, if I hear one answer, this most common answer is like, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a taxpayer. I'm a registered voter. I'll let you pick your party that you register vote, all that. I stand for these principles. These are my non-negotiables. And they kind of look at their life and they go, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm gainfully employed. I'm not out robbing people. I'm a good person. And at the end of my life, I think my life is going to measure out. Yeah, I've done some bad things, some stupid things, but overall I've done pretty. They, they treat God as a balancer of, of our life. But that's not what our offenses need to be, how our offenses are dealt with. It's dealt with by blotting them, not balancing them. This is the way John Piper put it. He said, there's no salvation by balancing the records. Your good outweighs your bad. There's only salvation by canceling records. The record of our bad deeds along with the just penalty that each deserves must be blotted out, not balanced what does God do when he dies for us? He takes our sin, our brokenness, our trespasses. And what does he do? As it says in Colossians 2.13, he makes us alive. That's the power of his crucifixion. 
And by means of his physical death, by his son, it says in Colossians as well, God made you his friend. Now, if you classify your relationship with Jesus, do you classify it as a friend or as a distant, distant, far off? Because the crucifixion brings us together. It takes care of us as the offender and our offenses all taken care of. Not balanced, blotted, taken care of. Number two is the means. How do we get there? It's not enough that Jesus died. Every other religious figure in the world has died, okay? There has to be a resurrection. To conquer death, hell, and the grave, to conquer the dark side, you've got to go there. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life in the gospel of John. You can't separate the two out. He's the resurrection. He's the life. He's the pathway. And if he didn't rise from the dead, we're in trouble. We're just flat out in trouble because 1 Corinthians says it very clearly. He says, if Christ has been raised, your faith, it has not been raised, excuse me. Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. We're still broken. We're still masquerading around as people of hope, but we don't have it. Listen, I know our, our society right now is forgiveness is in high demand, but in short supply. And until we can somehow tap into the gospel story of Jesus, we will miss the all life-changing power of what the death and the resurrection does for us. I was reading just last month, just clickbait, clicked on something, ended up on this webpage, had six different articles by Vox Media talking about the forgiveness culture of America right now. And they were talking about it. One is the great need for forgiveness. We're all angry at everyone. And we all don't agree with everyone. And it's just like, it's dividing families and how do we deal with that? These are secular articles written by by well-intentioned people, but they're literally saying this after you read all six of them. We need to figure out forgiveness because we don't have a forgiving culture right now and we're broke. That was just last month. How are we gonna get there? We're not gonna get there outside of Jesus and his death, his burial and resurrection because his resurrection brings life. His resurrection brings us, brings us the ability to forgive. If you forgive, this is what Neil Anderson said about forgiveness. He said, this is why it's so hard. He says, if I forgive you, I'm agreeing to live with the consequences of your sin. I realize I can't fix the brokenness and the offense. I'm just going to live with it. Jesus died and rose again so that I could die and so that you could die and rise again, not only for heaven out there, but for heaven in your heart right here. It's not a hope so there, it's a hope even here and now. I asked you the question in the beginning, if you could go back to your teenage self and tell you one piece of advice, um, here's what mine would be. If I went back to Mike McDaniel when he was eight, now I know that's not a teenager, but I would say, Mike, lean in to what's happening on this spring day in March when you're eight years old. Lean in on this day because on that day in a church much like 
this in northwest Arkansas. A lot of people, almost Easter, everybody's crowding in. And I heard a message from a little country preacher who shared about forgiveness. I don't remember all he shared, but I do remember a couple of things and a couple of things being this. I need what he's talking about. And maybe you're in this room today and you go, you know what? I, have, I got relationships of the past. Maybe like you, Mike, 30-year-old relationships that you need to go back and reconcile. I don't know how to do that. I promise you, you will not be able to do that outside of the death of Christ and the resurrection and the life that he brings through that. That is the avenue. That's the mode. That's the means in which. So this is what I would tell the eight-year-old Mike. Lean into your faith. Lean into this forgiveness that you're walking in today for the first time in your life. Let it change you. Because I don't need, I don't need a better life. I need a new life. I don't need a mentor. I need a savior. I don't need help with my past. I need freedom from my past. I don't need a autocratic God. I need a loving heavenly father who will go through whatever so that he can make me his friend. Romans chapter six, verse eight says it like this. If we get included in Christ's sin conquering death, this is in the message, it's paraphrased. We also get included in his life saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, It was a signal to the end of death as the end. Never again will death have its last word. When Jesus died, he took down, down with him, took sin down with him, but alive he brings God down to us. He brings us into relationship with Jesus. If you're here today, You think, man, this supernatural, unconditional, limitless forgiveness, I need it. How did I get it? Relationship with Jesus is where it all starts. And then let that same level of forgiveness filtrate, integrate all the way through, interface with every part of your life and every relationship in your life. And let forgiveness begin to mark you, begin to make you, begin to give you freedom and hope. How do you get there? Say to Jesus right where you're at right now. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I understand your death was necessary to pay for my sins. I understand your, crucif- your resurrection was necessary to conquer my sins so that I can walk free. Say it in your own words. Thank you for taking care and paying for my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for overcoming my sins and giving me life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you know him as your life? If you're a believer in this room today and you already made that relationship with God, maybe you've got a 30-year-old relationship that you need to pour some Jesus into, a little Easter into. And you need to go back and you need to reconcile, make right the wrong. Only happens by the grace of God, because grace is greater than all our sins. Let's bow. Father God, we cannot, should not even try 
to live outside of a relationship with you, Jesus. Would you, Lord, help us to to see the, the power of the paid debt that we all have, the offenses that we've all done to one another and we've done to you, God, in our rebellion and help us to understand that you, you, even while we're offending you, you are praying for us. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, help us to Help us to walk into that forgiveness and not walk away from it. Help us to hold it dearly and not hold it with entitlement. Father, draw us closer to you because it was through your stripes that we are healed. Your cross is our freedom. And may we live in that today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?